This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we are going to talk about pace labeling of food, which stands for Physical Activity Calorie Equivalent Labeling. Interesting, important, and controversial topic, so really looking forward for this chat. And we have a great guest for today's episode. Our guest is working as a professor of behavioral medicine at Loughborough University, Her work is focused on investigating the effects of lifestyle interventions on health outcomes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Professor Amanda Daly. Welcome, Amanda, and thank you for taking the time for this podcast. Uh, great. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me and, uh, you know, to take part in the podcast. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, pleasure to have you. So, So if we talk, start from from behavioral medicine, you are a professor of behavioral medicine, but what actually is, is behavioral medicine? That's actually quite a frequently asked question of, of me. Uh, it's a good question as well. Uh, so really, I'm interested in um, behavior change, health behavior change, lifestyle change, really looking at programs and interventions to try and help people live long, healthy and, and happy lives. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of the mixture of medicine and behavior in terms of trying to find effective ways to improve population health. Mm. So basically kind of preventive medicine through through behavior change. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the work that I do is based on prevention, but I do some treatment uh, orientated work as well. So focused on on patients, but really just trying to find ways to help all of the population, uh, whether they have diseases or not, to really live, you know, good, healthy, happy lives. Mm. So you said that you get this question quite often. How <laughs> many how how many professors of behavioral medicine is there? How how, how common is the field? Uh, I guess, you know, people refer to themselves in, in different ways. In terms of the actual title, uh, Professor of Behavioral Medicine, I know about three or four, but I guess, you know, professors of health psychology, for example, would broadly fit into that type of title as well, of which there are many. Um, but I guess for me, the, the medicine bit, um, really comes from the fact that a lot of my work is based in the National Health Service. You know, I, I do a lot of work with doctors and healthcare professionals. So the medicine bit is sort of quite quite important in terms of the work that, that we do. Mm, yeah. And and today we're discussing about, the, or the, in this episode, we are discussing about the PACE labeling of, of food. Could you tell us what what is it? Yeah, so as you mentioned at the start, PACE labeling refers to physical activity calorie equivalent labeling. And PACE is when you label food with the amount of physical activity that's required to um, expend the calories in the food. So the label might tell you uh, this pizza or this chocolate cake will take you 90 minutes of running or walking to expend the calories in it. So it effectively converts 
the number of calories in a food product to the amount of physical activity that it will take to expend the calories in that food. And we think that the public, um, you know, want to understand the energy costs of foods. And we think that it might help them to kind of better understand uh, the content of food so that they have the right information to make better purchasing um, and foods and food selections. Because one of the problems we have at the moment is that, you know, we have too many people that are overweight and not doing enough physical activity. And we think pace labeling might be a way of contributing to helping people um, change their behaviors. Mm. And and have have you already been doing research with this? Do we, do we know how how this labeling works? Um, yeah, so we have been doing uh, some research. Um, we have been doing some trials, but we've also been doing some kind of um, observational work where we've gone out to the public to ask them their opinion and their thoughts about pace because we can do all the trials in the world. But ultimately, we need to think about the views of the public about different approaches. Um, so we've been doing some work looking at children and adults, uh, and we've asked them lots of different questions about pace labeling and about um, typical types of labeling. And we've sort of just said to them, you know, we're proposing this different way and we're really interested in what you think about it. And so far, um, you know, the responses from the public have been strongly in favour of pace labelling. And that was particularly the case for young people. Um, um, one of the key things around that particular um, research that we've been doing with the public is they've said that they feel that pace labelling would really help them to reduce the amount of high calorie foods that they're consuming, which is exactly the behavior that we want. You know, not enough people um, are doing enough physical activity. And as I mentioned, we have too many people that are overweight. So, so far, uh, the evidence from the public seems to be um, that they would be okay with the pace labeling approach on food. Mm, yeah, that's 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 interesting. And I, I think it's very, very difficult question. But, but basically, it is we already have the labeling which tells that how much energy does this food contain per 100 grams and per per the amount that is in the in the package so basically it's it is kind of the same just expressed in a different way right yeah that's that's correct um so the idea of the expression of the information is to express it in a really simple way that the public can understand. And that includes children, because when you tell somebody this chocolate cake, for example, has 500 calories, what does that mean? Um, what does 500 calories actually look like? Um, so it's quite hard for the public to know whether buying a food with 500 calories in it is a good thing or not. But actually, when you convert that and you say, well, those 500 calories might take you 50 minutes of running or 20 minutes of walking or whatever it might be, the public understand the costs of that food, if you like, or the energy costs of that food. It's easier to understand. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I agree on, on that, that it's, it's easier to understand. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's very, very interesting question that how do you how do you label and and in UK you have also this, which I don't I haven't seen in many other countries that you have this traffic lights 
green, amber, and red in the front of the package. And and I found it quite useful that it's faster to check the color color code. Do you, do you know if this is in in other countries? And maybe you could explain for others that how how this labeling is done in the UK. Sure. So uh, the calorie traffic light labeling system, if you like, was brought in to try and help people, again, make good, healthy decisions about the food that they eat and they buy. And it was decided that if you label food with red, amber and green, um, then that would help the public to understand, you know, if there's too much red, then that suggests that the food's perhaps not so good for you. But if there's more green, then that's kind of the green light to go ahead potentially um, and buy and buy or eat that food. Um, and traffic light labeling also uh, usually includes, includes, includes calories. The problem we've got, though, is that, for example, if you were to buy a pizza, um, the, the labeling that we currently have, for example, could just tell you how much is in half the pizza, so how much fat and how much calories are in half the pizza. So then you have to start working out, well, what happens if I eat all of the pizza? Um, and there's lots of different information. And what is the traffic light for? Is it sugar? Is it fat? Is it sodium? What is it? So it's actually quite confusing for the public um, to know whether foods are good foods or, or, or bad foods. I and mean, of course, we all know that, you know, a, a, an apple is better for you than a than a chocolate bar. But, you know, lo- there's lots of foods in between those two that um, are actually quite hard for the public. I actually find it quite hard to understand labelling myself when I go to the supermarket. Um, so knowing how far I have to run and walk uh, if I eat or buy the food would actually make it really easy for me. And I think true for the you know for the public too. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of we we want people to understand, but we don't want to direct their thinking in the wrong way. And I I think it's a tricky question. But uh, so if if we would think that we do the pace labeling, how how would you describe it through the physical activity? Would it be minutes of running? kilometers of running walking or how how would you do it yeah yeah so again there's been a little bit of research about um about how we express this to the public um and there's two different issues i think we need to consider so what activity type would we use would it be cycling running or walking and then the other issue would be well how do we express it do we express it in minutes of walking uh or do we express it in for example uh, miles walked or kilometers walked and the preference research uh, that we currently have suggests that the public would prefer it expressed in minutes because they can't always visualize easily how far a kilometer is or how far a mile is, but they understand what a minute um, looks like. So I think based on what we know so far, it would be minutes um, of physical activity. And then we've got to think about, well, what activity type might might we use? Um, also bearing in mind, what type of activity do we want to promote? Uh, and it seems to me probably walking would be the best activity type because that's something that everybody in the public, again, including children, would um, understand. I think if we express it in minutes of walking, uh, sorry, of minutes of running, then um, that means potentially that it's a less accessible type of physical activity and not everybody runs, so they wouldn't necessarily know 
what that means. And remember, the whole thing about PACE is about expressing an information that most people would be able to um, understand and relate to. And so for that reason, I think, you know, it, it has to be walking. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you because cycling is not as natural as walking or running. And then when it comes down to walking or running, uh, we kind of want to promote also daily activity, everyday activity, which yeah. is usually usually walking. So yeah. I, I agree with you. Do you see there's a problem that minutes are easy to understand, but then they don't make a difference between intensity? Like, do you, do you see anything there? Uh, I mean, to be honest, I... Are you talking about the amount of um, minutes relative to the uh, the intensity of the activity? So running, yeah, in in, in a way that the time doesn't really make a distinct distinction between the intensity. But if it was distance, then it kind of comes naturally. If you walk faster, you cover it, yeah, with the less time. So I think we would have to make a decision that pace was going to be, for example, walking. And then obviously then we would use uh, the same equations for all the calculations based on an average speed um, of walking for, for, for all pace labels. Yeah. And and how, how about there has been some concerns raised that mm, pace labeling could, could lead to eating disorders or make things worse for people who already have an eating disorder? What what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, and it's something that uh, I I get asked a, a lot about. Um, and I think the first thing to say is that I think it's a it's a legitimate concern, and it is something that um, is on my mind in terms of making sure that we do no harm. Obviously, we always want to do good. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to promote. Uh, an intervention or an approach to health that could do harm. So that's the first thing to say. I think it, it is a legitimate concern. But I do think that we have to put things in context and we do have to consider um, the evidence uh, around this topic and try to put our opinions um, to one to one side. And, and the reason I say that is because actually there are lots of good bits of evidence that suggest that Pace labeling is potentially unlikely to cause um, eating disorders um, in the public. So there's no evidence um, that population-wide physical activity and obesity programs lead to an increase um, of prevalence of eating disorders in the population. And in fact, the trials have shown the reverse. Um, so where children have been exposed to um, physical activity and obesity prevention strategies, in schools, they actually report less or lower scores in terms of um, concerns uh, or disordered eating. And we think one of the reasons for that, because it's kind of counterintuitive to the argument that people argue that pace would cause um, eating disorders, but one of the reasons why we think that is that when you start to have these sort of broad population-based approaches, it gives an opportunity for people to talk more freely and openly about their relationship with food and how they're feeling about food and their physical activity. So it brings things to the fore. And if you bring things to the fore, it means that we can talk about it and resolve it. It's not sort of embedded. It's not something that you feel you can't talk about. So 
I think we have to be open to the possibility that pace actually might do good rather than um, just 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 harm. Um, and so, yeah, I can only go on the evidence that's before us and the evidence before us in trials in young people and, and girls who are our main concern around eating disorders, if you like, suggest that that isn't the case. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing to remember is that the number of people that are overweight, you know, massively dwarfs the number of people that are um, have an eating disorder or disordered eating. So we have to think about well, where does the balance lie? And, you know, I feel strongly that we have a responsibility to all those people that are overweight to try and find population based strategies to try and help help them, too, because those people in themselves are dying of diseases that could be prevented. And, you know, we need to think about those, too. So I think, you know, population health is always about on balance. Where do we think the right way um, is is to go? Um, and I guess on a more personal note I think it is something that I said that is on my mind it is something that worries me but I feel I have a responsibility to try and reassure people that I don't think the evidence suggests that pace would lead to um, an increase in prevalence of eating disorders in the population and you know in all the work that we do around pace we uh, have dietitians working with us so we're not recklessly going along this program without regard for eating disorders we are trying to be responsible scientists and in all the work that we do we uh we gather information we ask questions around people's relationship with food to make sure that we're not doing harm and so far in our trials we haven't found any evidence that giving patients or the public um pace information uh leads to an increase in, in eating disorders or any type of issues around eating so yeah i i, I don't know whether that convinces you or not yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that's that's a good point, and we we don't really know how it how it will affect, and probably for some it might help, for some it might do worse, but we we don't really know, and and uh, I I can see it easily that there's both ways, and there's never a perfect way which would work work for everything in this kind of things. Uh, how how do you see the framing of of kind of eating that we don't really walk to consume energy we we should be active and then eat the correct amount of energy that's how how our hunger system works we don't we shouldn't eat first and then worry about how to consume it it's 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 kind of turning it upside down how how do you feel about this yeah, and sort of linked to that question, the question that I get asked sometimes is about, you know, pace will lead to the public viewing uh, physical activity as a punishment for what they've eaten. And, you know, clearly um, that's not what we want. You know, I've spent my whole career trying to find ways to encourage people to enjoy all the benefits and the kind of the highs of physical activity. So that isn't something that I would want to promote or be part of. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you know, obesity costs people's lives and um, we've got to find ways of being able to uh, resolve resolve that. And, you know, we, we do need to try and find energy balance and energy balance is through what we eat and um, what we expend. So uh, we need to think about those two behaviours together. Um, 
So, you know, we think that potentially in pace, we can bring those two things together and give people the information that they need to make good decisions about um, about uh, energy balance in, in their day. You know, we, I, I wouldn't want people to see physical activity as a punishment. We, you know, we want people to enjoy that. But, um, you know, activity is important for its own sake rather than because of, of what we've eaten. Um, and I think one of the things about pace, and certainly in my mind, is that pace is really about trying to encourage people to reduce the discretionary foods, the extra foods, the indulgences, rather than everybody kind of, you know, keeping a, a log or a diary of every single thing that they eat in a day. It's just a little gentle nudge for you to consider you know, do you need the extra piece of chocolate cake or do you need the extra packet of nuts or the extra beer or, or, or whatever? It's not such that, you know, you have to log everything that you eat. That's that's not its purpose. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And how do you how do you see what is the text there in the pace labeling? How do you express this that how how many minutes of walking? How 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 would the kind of the sentence be in the labeling? Yeah, so there's lots of different ways in which you can do it. But I can just, I mean, in terms of the trials that we've done, we have uh, a little stick person, a non-gendered person. Uh, and then, uh, you know, let's say they're they're walking and then underneath it would have 20 bins or 30 bins showing um, the different type type of label. And obviously over time, people would start to understand and equate what that what that's actually telling them. But initially, people might be thinking, well, why is that, you know, what, what's this? particular picture telling me but i think over time it would be it would be okay mm. so it would be kind of without without words that it would have just figure and and the number and minutes yeah that, that's correct and i think the other thing is that we would want pace to be universal and open to to everybody again including children so the simpler we can make it i think the better for everybody across the world not just obviously in the uk This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy to understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers. Yeah, because with this with this wording question, I was I started to think that could you kind of turn it as a positive that, for example, that with this energy, I can enjoy movement for four hours. <laughs> like, you know, you would kind of yeah. at least a little bit try to change the mindset. I don't know if people, how people would would take it, but w- w- what do you think? Could, could it be framed as a positive thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be. And I think I would be happy and open to frame it in any way the public felt it was best for them. Uh, and we as scientists felt it was best for the public. So... Um, I'm not wedded to one way or another, but I guess I am quite keen to give the public that information in in one way or another. I I, I can see that, and and like we discussed before, that it's 
it is the same information as the kilocalories there. How do you see between kind of that you would actually, are you able to educate people? I don't know if it's in the school, but good people actually just understand what kilocalories is, what is kind of resting energy, uh, energy expenditure, what is the energy expenditure of walking, or do you see this as, as too challenging for people to learn and then to remember them? So I guess there's a number of ways of answering that question. I mean, if we think it's critically important that people understand it, then we should be trying to educate the public um, to do that. And the place to start, of course, is in schools and children and educating them around energy. And certainly in the UK, that is part of the curriculum. Um, but it's kind of a fleeting moment in the curriculum. The children do it and then that's it. And then it's, it's never addressed um, again. So I think fundamentally we've got an issue around the public really understanding the energy content of food. It happens to be that we express the energy either in fats or in calories. Um, but as I said at the start, if you ask a member of the public um, how many calories are in this chocolate cake, they always, not always, but often underestimate the number of calories that, that are in food. And if you're, in, if you're consistently underestimating the calories in food, then it's going to be tricky for you to, 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 to regulate that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I think it's a very very challenging thing like people need awareness of energy consumption and energy expenditure that they they understand but then kind of labeling food as something that you need to need to punish yourself then with movement is is not right but i think yeah i think the problem is that people kind of get easily stuck they cannot like see the food as kilocalories but also as food part of life they're like yeah how do you see this kind of reductionistic way and kind of seeing the both things at the same time why don't people are able to see the both sides in in things yeah i mean that's a good that's a good question and I'm, i suppose i'm not quite sure how to to answer it other than to kind of answer it how i asked one uh, answer one of your earlier questions around you know we need good energy balance in order to make sure that we, um, are, you know, our weight or our BMI, however we want to measure it, is in the right in the right zone. And so, unless you have both bits of information, how will you how will you do that um, consistently throughout your day? Um, and I think it's really important for me to stress that pace is about little nudges it's about just reminding you it's definitely not about punishing you and you having to think uh you have to burn off everything that you consume in a day it's just little changes just to just to remind you um and if we think about physical activity at a population level um other than attaching physical activity to food or attaching it to um going to the toilet, for example. I mean, food, eating and going to the toilet are the two kind of behaviors that we all do, right? Several times a day, no matter who we are, we all do those things. So I can think of no other, uh, can you think of any other ways in which we would attach physical activity to the things that we do each day as little gentle nudges to remind us? I, I can't think of any other population approaches other than attaching it to food and going to the toilet. 
Um, but I'm, I'm happy to be uh, corrected if uh, listeners have got other ways in which they think we, we could do it as a constant nudge or a constant uh, reminder to the public of the importance of thinking about what we eat, but also making sure that we do enough physical activity each day. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. So that's, that's about the kind of the controversy and probably studies will show how, how it works, how people have attitude and how it should be done. Uh, if we go to the kind of practicalities, would you have it in all the foods or would you have it in just some certain type of foods? Yeah, that's another great question. And I'm going to answer it by saying uh, yes and no. And the reason why I'm kind of answering it in yes and no is that it doesn't make sense to me to put paste labeling on fruit, for example. Fruit is the very foods that we want you to eat. So I don't want to put anything in the way or any barriers um, to to promoting um, eating fruit. But let's say you go to a coffee shop and you've got a decision at the till between buying the chocolate cake and buying the fruit. So if I don't label the fruit, how will you know about the substantial difference between the fruit and the chocolate cake? So we want to start to educate people about uh, the kind of energy costs of different types of foods. If you only label one type of food, uh, it's hard to compare. But it doesn't. I I think pace is really about discretionary foods, the the foods that we don't we don't need, uh, the foods that are really high in calories that we consistently eat all day. You know, the kind of junk types of food doesn't quite sit well with me to, to label uh fruit and vegetables for example with paste that just doesn't you know seems counterintuitive to me yeah i i think that makes makes sense uh, and and probably brings good results how do you see then then children who have much smaller body weight uh would you still have just kind of one minute or how how would you consider the different body weights so if we just take a step back for a second so uh, in many countries we have a recommended daily allowance of calories which uh, I'll take the UK for example is 2000 calories for a woman per day on average and then it's 2500 for a, for a for a man so we already have a range type of approach of labeling food and I think pace potentially could follow the same type of approach where we have a range um of a lower body weight, which might be more applicable to children, and then there may be a higher weight that's more applicable um, to adults. But at the moment, for example, we don't have a recommended daily allowance for children on foods. We only have adults. I don't quite know why that is, but I think pace would follow whatever we potentially do for adults. Yeah, sounds sounds good. And what kind of other advantages you would see with with the pace labeling what what other than people realizing would you see differences in the how food companies would it affect the industry somehow or any any other things sure so i think it's something that's universal i think it's something that everybody can easily understand including children but i think one of the key outcomes from pace is potentially encouraging uh, manufacturers of food to think about reformulation um, because manufacturers might think, well, actually, I don't want my 
products to show the public that it's going to take them three or four hours of walking to burn or expend the calories in that food because I'm worried about the impact that that might have on my sales. Therefore, I might make the same product but think about reducing uh, the sugar or fat content in those foods uh, such that it requires less physical activity because then the public might be more likely to, to buy the foods. And in fact, we've seen with the uh, with the beverage type or the sugar type taxes in the United States and also in the UK that actually um, when you bring things in like tax or, or legislate, it can encourage companies to go back to basics and think about how they're producing their products. And so it might well be that pace could go. Uh, in the same direction. And of course, that's what we want, right? We don't want the public eating lots of high sugary, high fat foods. We want the food industry to go back and reconsider how they can make their foods. You know, and prior to the beverage taxes, companies were very resistant to doing it. But when they're forced to do it, look how easy they do it. They can do it overnight. Uh, And actually, the interesting thing about uh, the beverage taxes is that it's led to a quite a substantial reduction in uh, the sugar content in people's diets without changing sales. So the companies still make the same amount of money and we benefit too because they produce products that have less sugar in it. That to me is win-win, right? We all win. Health wins, the public win and the company win. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting question that are we really in sensitizing the the industry enough because for example in i i see for example with bread which is yeah. kind of simple but there's huge amount of salt in bread yeah. and when you when you look in the store you might find one which has a little bit less salt mm-hmm. and it's something you don't even taste it like when you compare the less salty bread yeah and the more salty you don't notice and we get used to it so i'm, I'm really puzzled that why nobody is doing anything for that it's kind of it doesn't make any difference like you said with this that the sales still stayed the same so how how do you see in bigger picture what should be done with the kind of industry so uh, yeah um i mean that's a that's a huge question but i think we should be thinking of ways of working with industry to try and get them to see that actually They can make changes uh, to the way in which they produce their food without impacting necessarily their sales. Um, And I guess, you know, tax is always a way of focusing companies' minds on what's required to improve population health. So um, it seems to be that, you know, money and tax is a way to... uh, to really push through change. That's not always ideal because then you're kind of almost being quite forceful. I'd like us to, you know, work with industry um, Mm. and and do this together rather than um, apart. I think we'll achieve more together. Um, But companies have to be prepared, prepared to change. And I'm hoping that the, you know, the evidence around the sugar tax that's starting to emerge, showing companies that they don't need to, uh, well, they won't necessarily lose sales by making changes. Will maybe start to open the door a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a that's important important question. And and how how is your like with the pace labeling? Do are you planning to do some studies? Do you have something in the pipeline that's coming up? 
Sure. Uh, so we have uh, quite a few studies that are ongoing and some uh, new ones are about to start. Um, so we're doing some work uh, with children that's been led by Natalia, one of my PhD students, because I think it's really critical that we give information to children in a format that they can understand. You know, we say we're serious about trying to uh, improve uh, obesity levels in children. And then we label food so complicated that, um, you know, a child would need a PhD in mathematics to try and work out whether this food is a good food or not. I mean, we're setting children up to fail. We've got to label food to at least give them a chance to work out whether this is a good food for them to buy and to teach them about energy costs, you know, very, very early on. So I think, if we're going to do anything, it's important with, with children. Um, and we're also doing some work, excuse me, around vending machines. So uh, you'll rarely see any good, healthy food in a vending machine. It's typically crisps, sugary drinks, chocolate, cakes, all those sorts of things. So um, we, we feel vending machines is a good place to, to, to really start. Um, so we have some studies around vending machines. Um, and then I have another PhD student who's doing some work around social media and pace and looking at the process of putting pace information on social media to see whether that's something that works for the public too, given that we are moving much more to a kind of technological social media um, orientated uh, environment. So yeah, we've got quite a lot of work um, going on. We've done some already um, and uh, in trials, which have been very positive and really encouraging in terms of health outcomes. Um, but we do need more uh, real-world uh, PACE-type trials, which we're uh, in the process of doing now. Okay, and and yeah, we we know that most people in the population are unfortunately overweight. Is there is there any evidence that PACE labeling would reduce the number of calories people eat? Yeah, again, that's a great question. Um, so in 2019, we published um, a systematic review of randomized controlled um, studies that showed that pace labeling may reduce the number of calories we select to eat by around 65 calories per, per occasion. So if we think 65 calories and we eat three meals a day, that's roughly about um, 200 calories a day. But don't forget that most of us also eat snacks. So if we think about snacks as well, then you can see how pace might be uh, useful in reducing the number of calories that, that we eat a day. Um, so let's say it's 200 calories on, on average. And if we equate that up, that's around 1,500 calories a week and around 3,500 calories um, per month. So 3,500 calories is around one kilo or so. So, you know, if we could prevent weight gain of around one kilogram in most of the population, that would actually save thousands and thousands of lives. So even though the impact of pace might be quite small at a population level, um, it's actually quite, quite substantial. Um, so even though the effects of pace labeling, uh, again, might be small. I don't think we should discount pace because the effects are small for the reasons that um, I've just, just talked about. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah, I, I, I agree. And there's some studies showing that kind of people usually gain weight really slowly, that it might be just 500 kilocalorie 
per day and then slowly slowly they they gain weight so i i think 200 kilocalories is i think it's quite a quite a good effect on on average yeah and if we i mean i think if we were to put things in context a little bit so uh again in the in the uk if you want to lose weight the government suggests that you should try to reduce the amount of calories that you eat per day uh by 500 so if pace can contribute a little bit to that 500 in terms of reducing the number of calories that you eat and you potentially do a little bit more physical activity um, each day, then, you know, you can see how it might contribute as a kind of toolbox uh, to the different strategies. Um, I mean, I'm definitely not saying that pace will resolve uh, issues around obesity prevalence, um, but I think it could contribute and be part of an overall approach to um, to solving obesity, but also encouraging people to be more physically active. You know that's 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 important too. And and do you have any any evidence that when people are seeing the pace labeling, do they change their physical activity behavior? Yeah, so we did a trial uh, a couple of years ago now that was published um, in the BMJ. And uh, this was a a study that was led by my PhD student, Francis, at the time. So we were interested in what happens to people's behaviours in terms of diet and physical activity over Christmas. Um, Christmas is a time where we do less physical activity. We sit more. We eat lots more of those lovely foods that we see um, in the supermarkets. So we were interested in trying to stop or prevent people from gaining weight over Christmas because it's a really high risk time for weight gain that we often don't don't lose. So in the intervention group in this trial, it was called the WWW trial. Um, one of the things that we did is that we gave the intervention participants pace information about lots of different foods that we typically eat um, at Christmas time. And then we encouraged them to weigh themselves. Um, and we compared that with a comparator group that only got um, a healthy leaf, healthy eating leaflet. And we found that the intervention group that got this pace uh, information uh, didn't gain as much weight over Christmas as the comparator group. And one of the really key things that Frances did in this work is that she then interviewed the uh, participants to see what they thought and felt about pace labeling and and how did they process that information in terms of their eating and physical activity decisions. And one of the things that really stuck in my mind is that participants were saying they really didn't appreciate or understand how many calories are in food and how long it might take them to expend the calories in that food. It was a complete kind of revelation to them, this study in terms of the calories. So that sort of suggests to me that actually there's a lot of work to be done around educating the public about different types of foods. And they said the key driver of their restraint was knowing the pace information. That was uppermost in their minds. Um, mm. So I think that's a really important takeaway message. Yes, the trial was important. Yes, we prevented weight. But when you talk to people and you start to unpick what it is about pace that's important and impacts their decisions, it was knowing how many calories were in the food and how long it was going to take them to expend those calories. Yeah, sounds good. And are you looking for any collaboration or do you have any open positions or anything you would like to advertise here? 
Um, yeah, I mean, we're always open to collaboration. I think uh, one of the things uh, that's important to us as a team is to is to work with others and to and to improve what we're doing. So, if there are people out there listening to the podcast that are interested in pace, then you know, definitely get in touch. Or if there's any food companies that are interested in doing any research, then again, we'd be really, uh, really open to that. Um, I mean, a lot of the food companies seem quite resistant to doing research because it's almost as if they're afraid of the um, the results. But as I said before, we we really want to work with people rather than against them. I think that's that's the best outcome for everybody. Yeah, sounds sounds good. So thank you for taking the time for this podcast. This was very interesting discussions. Great. Well, thanks for inviting me. I've really enjoyed uh, telling you all my all my views about uh, about pace labeling. So hopefully, uh, you know, listeners will enjoy it. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.